Well, let me ask you, how many of you uh, are members of Sam's Club? Raise your hand. Wave at me. You got a Sam's Club membership. Wave real big. All right. How many of you uh, have a membership with Netflix to watch your movies and television? Be a lot more hands in the next service for that one. How many of you uh, are members of Amazon, Amazon Prime, and order a lot of stuff online that way? I do. I, I can't remember the last time I bought a book in a bookstore. Well, I can, but uh, I shouldn't say that. Marty just sang. I'm sorry about that, Marty. <laughs> that, that was bad. <laughs> mm. I'll have to take him to lunch. <laughs> how, how many of you uh, are members of, say, AMC Theater when you, you, you buy your tickets to the movies before you go. Anybody do that? I love going to the one in Pineville because I get, you know, they've got those big recliners and you can just lean back and it's like being in your recliner at home and buy your ticket before you get there and have your reserve seat. Love, I love, love that. Now, you know, the truth is, as Americans, we do not have a problem with membership. We join all kinds of groups and organizations and so on, correct? We, we really don't have a problem with membership. And so today I want to talk about church membership, what the Bible teaches about it, about the church and membership, why it matters, talk about how to join the First Baptist Church, because there are people who have questions about those things, and I want to try to answer some of them as best I can. But... Before we get to what God's Word says about the church and membership and, and so on, I want to, to kind of put a, a human touch on it, the, share with you the human side of why the church and being part of a church matters. And I want to start by telling you about two men who were neighbors. They lived in Chicago, and this story took place 2001. Richard was 81 years old, okay, 81 years old, lived by himself, and uh, according to his neighbors, cared about his privacy more than conversation with anyone. In fact, over the years, he had alienated his neighbors. He had a temper, rarely came out of his house, and he died alone of natural causes in his house, and it was several weeks before anybody knew he was dead. Now his next door neighbor was Adolf. Adolf was 71 years old, also lived alone, stayed in his house most of the time, seldom came outside, just kept to himself. And in the last several years, his neighbors would sometimes cut his grass because it, it, the house just started going down and sometimes the grass would get two feet high and one of them would go over and cut it just to make the place look a little better. And uh, they just assumed uh, he moved away. Nobody ever saw him. They just assumed he had left town or something or maybe he left his house. And over time, Cruz cut off his water because he didn't pay his bill, cut off his electricity because he didn't pay his bill, cut off his gas because he didn't pay his bill. Once in a while, some neighbor would knock on the door. There wouldn't be an answer, so they just assumed he wasn't home. Didn't pay his taxes. And so his house was sold at auction. A developer bought it. And he, the developer eventually went into the house to check out the property he had just purchased, 
And they found Adolf sitting in his chair with a newspaper from 1997 beside him and his body decayed. He'd been dead four years and nobody knew it. There's a man named John who works for Cook County, handles the estates of people who die without any known heirs. Newspaper interviewed him. Because think about this, two two elderly neighbors living side by side, both dying alone in their house of natural causes. And for weeks, nobody knew Richard was dead. For four years, no one knew Adolph was dead. And this county employee, John, said, I've seen, listen to this, brothers and sisters. He said, I've seen hundreds of cases like these two. He said, after 20 years, I can predict to the word, the speech people are going to tell me. Here's what the neighbors will say. He was a private person, very peculiar. Didn't want anyone bothering him. He wanted to be left alone, so we left him alone. Now, all of us hear those stories and it breaks our hearts because it's so sad. And yet there are people who try to approach their relationship with Jesus in a similar fashion. Stay away. Don't need anybody. Do it by myself. But it doesn't work. For the last three decades, one of the phrases we've used at First Baptist is a family of faith because the biblical understanding of a New Testament church is we are a family, not just any family, but a family of faith because of our shared experience in Jesus Christ. This past Friday, I called a woman who's a member of our church home recovering from a hysterectomy. I wanted to check on her and see how she was doing. She told me her Sunday school class was bringing her dinner. Recently, I visited a man at the, in, in the hospital. Late in the evening, he'd had emergency surgery. And in addition to his wife, a deacon of this church and someone from his Sunday school class had sat with his wife late at night while he had surgery. This afternoon, I'll be speaking at a funeral for one of our elderly members who's now in glory. We've had several of those in recent days. Jamie and I often talk, and I, I have to tell you, quite often we'll talk about how uh, for someone who was 70 years old or 80 years old or 90 years old, people who've been in assisted living facilities and hadn't been to church because they weren't physically able for some time, and, I, and, and we'll, we'll comment on how, how many people were there from their Sunday school class. Every week I receive emails from Sunday school classes in this church because I asked them to send them to me. If you're not sending me in your class email, send it to me because it has on their prayer request. Every week, these classes, they, they, they take prayer requests for needs and concerns and issues and struggles and things that's going on in their lives and in their family, and, 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 and they type these up as an email and send them out to everybody on the road so they can be praying for one another. So that's what a family of faith looks like. And that's what people need. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Not because we're religious, not because we're Baptist, just it's, it's because of Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And He makes us brothers and sisters. And, and we have the same Father. Every follower of Jesus Christ, every believer in Jesus Christ has the same Father. My daddy is your daddy. Your daddy is mine. His God. One family. And as such family loves being together. We love our Father. We enjoy worshiping and serving our Father as a family. And that's that's just one part, one one one, one part of why being part of a church matters. There, there's there's others. That's just one. And, and and by the way, I want you to note something if you haven't already. And me talking about this church, did you did you notice the role of Sunday school and all those stories? Hmm? Because you don't get to know your brothers and sisters just sitting in these chairs at a worship service. You, you, you grow in your relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ by being together where you can talk and study and learn and pray and laugh and cry and have fun together. That's why Sunday school matters. You're, you're cheating yourself spiritually and in other ways if you're not connected to a small group of fellow believers in Christ. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. So I didn't plan to preach on Sunday school, but let me just say, go to Sunday school. It's good for you. What's that old commercial about milk? Does the body good? Getting Sunday school, getting some relationships with other believers, it does you good. Now, let's look at what the Bible says about some of this, okay? You have your Bible, Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus talks about initiating, establishing, birthing the church. He's with his disciples. And in Matthew 16, verse 13, they came to the area of Caesarea Philippi in northern Galilee. And um, he was asking his disciples, what's the gossip? What does everybody say about me? And his disciples said, well, here's what the rumor mill is. Here's what people are, are talking, or what, what they're saying. Some say you're John the Baptist. Now, remember, John the Baptist had been executed. You're John the Baptist come back to life, or, or you're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the other Old Testament prophets. They, they don't know who you are. They, they think you're one of these great men of God from the past come back to life. And then Jesus personalized it in the next verse and said, but who do you think I am? Now, now what is his focus here, brothers and sisters? It's on the identity of Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? And then Peter, answering for the others, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, the, 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 the New Testament, as you know, was written in Greek, and the word translated Christ in our English Bibles is the word Christos. That's the equivalent of the Old Testament Hebrew word Messiah. Christos, the anointed one. The Messiah. Jesus, you are the one that in, by, in the Bible, God promised, the Father promised would come. Would come to save us. To rescue us. You're the anointed one who's going to redeem us from our sin. Peter got it right. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Savior. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Peter got it. He got it 
right. Now, in the next verse, let's go to the next slide. Jesus said to him, blessed are you, because you didn't come up with this on your own, but my father revealed it to you. This is a spiritual truth. This is a biblical truth. This is a a divine truth. It's from God. This is who I am. I'm the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. And I say to you now, Peter, your name's Peter. Remember, he gave him a new name, Peter. That Greek word for Peter, Peter's name means a little bitty rock. But upon this this rock, this other rock, not Peter, but this rock, this is a different Greek word, big rock. What's the big rock? Everything they've just been talking about. What do people say about me? Well, they say this, who do you say I am? <laughs> You're the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior, the, the, the Lord. That's right. That's a heavenly truth. You're, that's right. And then Jesus is say, on that big rock, on that big truth, on that eternal reality of who I am, I will build my church. The church is built on the person of Jesus Christ, who he is. He's the foundation for the church. And be, being part of a church is, is not just a, being part of a religious organization. It's not something you're, you're in because your mother brought you when you're an infant or before you were even born and you've always been here. A New Testament church, is, it, means, it means having a connection with, a relationship with the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, with Jesus. It's only built on that and nothing else. It's all about Jesus. All about him. See, the thing that makes a New Testament church unique in comparison to other entities in our community is that we are founded on Jesus Christ alone. It is also, listen, Our connection with Jesus Christ, our relationship with him is what each and every one of us who are a part of a true New Testament church, who are part of the family of God, who are part of a relationship with God, that's the one thing we all have in common is Jesus Christ. We have different ideas about a lot of different things, right? But the commonality is a faith relationship with the Christ, the Messiah, with Jesus Christ. We all have that in common. Now, one more thing on this passage before we go to Acts chapter 2. The word translated from the Greek language as church in this passage is ekklesia. It's the most common word in the New Testament for church. It occurs 114 times. It's a combination of two Greek words, ek meaning out of, and from the verb kaleo, to speak, to call. And so what it literally means is those who have been called out of the world, out of lostness, out of sin, into (laughs) a relationship with Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the family of God. And we gather because we are the called out ones. We assemble because we are called out to a different life, to a different worldview to a different spiritual and eternal reality. So the church is not just an assembling, a gathering. It is is a gathering of those who have been called out and into this unique relationship with the Christ, with Jesus. Now, 
let's look at how that works. In, in the book of Acts chapter 2, the very, the very first local, local church there in Jerusalem, um, the Bible, Bible talks about this. In verse 41, you remember that uh, Peter had stood up. This is after Jesus ascended to heaven. So he's crucified, resurrected, and now he's back, at, back in, in heaven with the Father. And the disciples have gathered in Jerusalem. There's a crowd, and Peter stands up, and, and he preaches, and the other speaks. And the Bible in Acts 2.41, the very first church, says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added to them, there were added about 3,000 souls. Now, notice some things about that passage. Those who received his word, the word, the message, the sermon that Peter preached. What does it mean to receive it? They owned it. They believed it. And when you read Peter's sermon in the earlier verses of that chapter, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so at the end of that sermon, the Bible says those who received it, those who agreed with it, believed it, trusted it, placed their faith in it, they were baptized. Now, notice the receiving, the believing preceded the baptism. And how many were saved that day? How many were baptized? How many? It tells you. 3,000. Now, to know that, they had to count. So there's a sense in which there is a list of who's making decisions and becoming part of the body. And so in this one verse... In the very first church, you have the preaching of God's Word. People respond by receiving it, by believing it. Once they believe, they are then baptized and added to the body. And in that particular occasion, there were, um, there were um, 3,000. Now, you drop on down, a summary of what's going on in the days to follow was found in verse 47 of that chapter that says they were together praising God, having favor with all the people. And notice this, the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being what? So who was being added to the fellowship? Who was being added to the church? Who was being added to the body of Christ? Those who were what? Being saved. What does that mean? Who were choosing to place their faith in Christ for the cleansing and forgiveness of sin? That's the New Testament pattern. Salvation comes before baptism. Salvation comes before church membership. Now, as Baptists, historically, we use a phrase to summarize some of this. It's called believers' baptism by immersion. Because one of the questions people ask is adult baptism versus infant baptism. And and, and that's not the, the... the proper way to frame that question because it's not adult baptism versus infant baptism. Notice the statement again. So, believers, baptism by immersion. Can you say that with me? Believers, baptism by immersion. Say it again. Believers, baptism by immersion. Why? Because in the New Testament, those who are baptized received the word were believers first. There's many passages we could look at that, that make that clear. So there's belief. That comes first, then baptism. Why? To identify you, just as this wedding band identifies me as a as a husband. Doesn't make me one, does it? But it, it's a symbol that I am one. That's what baptism is. It's a symbol, it's a picture that you are a believer, a follower of Christ. And then by immersion, 
uh, that's the reason we have the big baptistry rather than the little one in some of our you know other faith faith churches you know christian churches we we don't sprinkle we immerse and many reasons for that but the two most basic ones is the meaning of the word the greek word is is baptizo was not translated into english when the bible was translated into english it was transliterated which means they took the greek word and the greek alphabet matched it with the corresponding letters in the english alphabet and created a new word the greek word is baptizo beta b alpha a pi P, tall, T, etc., and you get a new word, baptize. Baptizo means to submerge, to plunge. If a ship was to sink in the Mediterranean Sea, it was baptized, it was baptizoed. I was sharing with someone earlier this morning that uh, in the writings of John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, and Martin Luther, who founded the Lutheran Church, and John Calvin, the father of the Presbyterian Church, all three of those authors acknowledge in their own writings that immersion of believers was the method used in the early church. Don't have time to give you the history lesson of how that changed over the centuries. But, but historically and biblically, that's the way it was done in the early church. And so we say it's what the Bible teaches. It's the history of the early church. We're going to keep doing that. So it's believers, baptism by immersion. And there are other reasons. Don't have time to get into those today. But that's a, there's a baptism class, by the way. And if you're learn, wanting to, to learn more about baptism, Brother Jamie on our staff uh, will be teaching a baptism class. I believe it's on Sunday, April 8th. You can sign up. Well, the Connect card's already been collected. You can email, call the church office, and, or stop at the Next Steps table uh, in the back after the service and sign up for the baptism class. It's a one-hour class on Sunday morning. You can take it either at 9, 10, or 10:30. Your choice. He repeats it twice on Sunday morning. So believers' baptism by immersion. Now, I want to talk for a moment about <clears throat> is church membership biblical? Because occasionally I'll run into somebody who has a question. I just don't think it's biblical to join a church. I just don't see why you need to. And, and I could spend two or three Sundays just looking at Bible passages talking about this issue. But let me just hit something, a few things real quick on this, and then we'll get to the benefits of being part of a church and then how to join the church, okay? Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse uh, 17, something you may not have noticed before, but let me point it out to you. The Bible says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Now, I don't have time to unpack what it means to be, you know, a leader in the church. That's not the point I'm trying to make today. But notice what he says, that those who are believers in Christ are to do what? There's their spiritual leadership that God has put in the church that you are to follow. And then he says to those leaders, they keep watch over your souls, your spiritual health, your spiritual life, and they will give an account. In other words, I when I, when I stand before God as a, as a Christian and as a pastor and a preacher, God is going to hold me accountable for what I have done to, to care for your spiritual life. You're, you're being fed on the Word of God and the truth of God. That He holds me accountable for that above everything. I, I take this pulpit seriously the teaching ministry of this seriously because that's the number one responsibility God has given every preacher is the spiritual care of people, the feeding on the Word of God. Now, here's the thing. 
How can I be held accountable for people who are not officially part of the flock I'm supposed to feed? People who just show up and don't show up whenever they want and go to 20 different churches just depend on how they feel that day. How can I be accountable for people who won't commit? And how can the flock submit to spiritual leadership if they don't want to believe in an official participation and in commitment to a local church? Does that make sense? There's many other passages that we could look at, but I just want to point that out. One, one more real quick, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, he's talking to the elders in verse 1. And he says he's an elder, Paul, or Peter rather, who wrote that he's an elder, a pastor, leader in the church. And then he, he says the elders in verse 2 are supposed to shepherd the flock of God. But notice this, among you. Is that hinting at anything? Among you, exercising oversight. Well, how can a spiritual leader exercise spiritual oversight if there's not an official flock that belongs to that group? You have in the, the book of Acts when they elected a group of men that we consider the first deacons. Who elected them? The, the, the spiritual leaders called the church, the body, the believers together, and the believers elected them. Is that not true? That's, that's a group of believers, a body, a local church. There's, there's passages in the book of Timothy that, that give varying clear instructions for an official group within a local church called the widows that the church was to assist. On and on I could go for, for two or three Sundays just on systems in the New Testament that point very clearly to membership in a local church. And, and when people argue that, that membership in a church is unbiblical, they're not on sound footing biblically. Many passages we could talk about, but I just want to just get that out there. Now, very, very important. Let's talk for just a moment in, in, in machine gun fashion about some of the practical reasons to belong to a church, and then we'll talk about how to join this church. Here's one reason. We need other believers. All of us understand that the people around us influence us, help shape us, true? Who you, I mean, you parents and grandparents, are you ever concerned about who your kids and grandkids hang out with all the time? Huh? Why? So, Listen, listen, the scripture is clear. We need to be in the world, but none of it. We need to be out there witnessing to people, loving people, serving people, living in this world, but we're none of it. We are, one of the reasons we gather and you belong to a group of fellow believers is because you need that godly influence in your life. Because if not, <laughs> the leaven, the sin will rub off more than the godliness and the righteousness. You need to be hanging out with God's people. Because the attitudes and the habits and so on, the words and the conversations and the actions of the people you hang out with influence you. Number two, we need to spiritually encourage other believers. You see, it's not just about me. There's so much in our Western culture with all of our choices and with all of our freedom that if we're not careful, corrupts us into thinking it's all about me and scripture teaches that God wants us to be about others not just self 
And there are, there are believers who need our encouragement and need our love and need our help. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the Bible says that we are to consider, that means to think about how to stimulate, promote, encourage one another to what? Love and good deeds. And he says the way we do that is but not forsaking the assembling, the gathering together of the believers, as is the habit of some. Some people have the habit of just showing up every now and then when they want to. He says, no, don't have that habit. That's a bad habit because it doesn't encourage anybody. It discourages people, in fact. He said, you are responsible for encouraging other believers by showing up. And the closer it gets to the day, the closer it gets to the Lord's day, the more excited you ought to be about not only being in church, but being with fellow believers, not only for what you are going to receive, but what you are going to give by way of encouragement to others simply by your presence, if nothing else. Number three, we we need the grace and help of of other believers. <laughs> can, can I get agreement on this? We all mess up sometimes. Hmm. Mercy knows I do. We all have challenges in life, and we need people who are going to love us, who are going to help us heal, who are going to help us be renewed and encouraged. And not only do we need that at different seasons in life, guess what? There will be times God wants you to give that to others. And and like those two elderly men in Chicago dying alone in their home because they shut themselves off from the world and from people. Don't complain about the church when you don't go to Sunday school and make relationships with other believers. Don't complain about the church when you're not connecting with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't complain about the church when you're not serving them and loving them and helping them because the truth is the more we give, the more we get. We need the grace and help of each other. Number four. We need to show the world that we're part of God's family. We need to identify ourselves with the people of God as a witness to the world. Now, now, folks, Thursday night I want you to look for me on CBS because Stephen and I are going to be sitting in seats about halfway up when Kentucky plays in Atlanta Thursday night, whether it's Kansas State or Baltimore, Maryland County, whatever that team is called. We don't care. We're going to be there, and I'll be in blue. So look for me. All right? And if we win Thursday night, I will be there Saturday. Because <laughs> I'm not ashamed to be identified as a follower of the cats. Go Big Blue. Okay? Are you ashamed to be identified with the people of God? can meet a stranger in Atlanta and if he's wearing Kentucky blue we're best buds but that's even deeper deeper among brothers and sisters in Christ when we allow it to be you get my point See, think of Sunday like a family reunion. Don't be that old grouchy cousin who never comes. (laughs) 
And what you get here is better than fried chicken. Number five, we need to learn how to love God's family deeply. And you only learn to love people by being with people and working through stuff, good stuff and tough stuff. Number six, we need to discover and use our spiritual gifts to serve serve other believers. And how do you learn that you're good at something? By doing it. How do you get better at doing something? By doing it. How do you you use your spiritual gifts? You get busy in church and you serve. Number seven, we need to be encouraged and challenged to grow and mature as followers of Jesus. Just like God's Holy Spirit is speaking to some hearts this morning and challenging you because you're hearing the Word of God, you need to expose yourself to that experience every day of your life, every Sunday of your life, so you can be challenged and encouraged to grow and mature. And number eight, the last one, we need spiritual leadership. That's what those verses we looked at a moment ago were talking about. Now, as I transition into talking about uh, how to join First Baptist Church, there's some questions you need to answer. Number one, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Have you committed your life to Jesus, received him as your Lord and Savior, asked him to forgive you? Have you been saved? Have you believed? Have you received his word truth? Have you received him? Because prior to church membership, there has to be a relationship with Jesus Christ. We call it in theology a regenerate church membership that everyone who's a member of the church needs to have already been regenerated, born again, saved, redeemed, however you want to say it. So you need to ask that question. Have you already given your life to Jesus and been saved? And if the answer is no, then this morning that's the first step for you is to give your heart to Jesus Christ. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Here's the second question. Were you baptized after you believed? Were you baptized after you believed? Because as we briefly saw, and there's more verses we could look at, baptism follows salvation. And then the third question, were you baptized as a believer after you believed? by immersion because that was the New Testament method. So you need to answer those three questions. Now, real quickly as I wrap this up, and every chair today is a sheet that looks like this. I want everybody to get this, whether you're a member or not. I want everyone looking at it. Members, I encourage you to fill out the one side where it asks for contact information. You can sign up for some different things. Uh, But we want to make sure we have all of your information in our database accurate. Now, those of you who are thinking about joining our church, let me explain the three ways to join First Baptist Church. Now, you need to answer those questions. Do you have a relationship with Christ? Were you baptized as a believer afterward? And was it by immersion? Now, transfer of letter, what is that? That means you're a member of a Baptist church and you're moving your membership to this Baptist church. You've been saved and baptized in the past, baptized after salvation. You're a member of a Baptist church and you're moving your membership to this Baptist church. That's what transfer of letter is. Statement of faith and previous baptism as a believer by immersion, you're not a member of a Baptist church. But you have you have been saved. You have given your life to Jesus Christ. You were baptized, but it was after you gave your life to Jesus, not before. It was after you gave your life to Jesus. And when you were baptized as a believer, it was by immersion. But you're not a member of a Baptist church. We take you on your statement that you've given your life to Jesus. You were baptized afterward, and it was by immersion. We take you in your statement. We still communicate to the church that you're coming from, and so you would be joining by statement. Baptism is either you're a new believer who's never been baptized, or you were baptized before believing in Jesus, whether it was as, as a child or an infant, but it was before you personally believed in Christ, or it was not by immersion after salvation. And so in those cases, you would be joining uh, by, by baptism. 
And uh, then there's some other information we ask you to, to, to fill out on that card. And, and there may be somebody here the, at the bottom who thinks you're a member of this church, but you're not certain. And we can check and confirm that for you. So I'm going to give you a moment to fill this out and, and then say to you in just a moment, ushers, be ready because ushers are going to collect all of these forms. And then this coming week, this coming week, um, pastors will call those who are choosing to join the church today and discuss your decision with you. And then next Sunday or a following Sunday, we'll have some reserved seating and we'll do the Presbyterian style where we'll just introduce you as a group to the church family. So I want us to bow our heads and just take a moment of prayer as you reflect on what God is saying to you right now. Every head bowed as you reflect and pray and complete your commitment card for just a moment.